We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And you just let me know when it runs, right? Absolutely. Uh, and, I'll, and I'll be happy to tweet it out at that point. So, Yeah, I'll, I'll tag you in it. Yeah. Uh, well, shoot me an email too. Cause like, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not looking at my Twitter mentions too much this week. So, uh, sounds good. yeah. All right. Uh, welcome to the Rotowire prospect podcast. I'm your host, James Anderson. And as I am every year, fingers crossed, uh, the great Jim Callis of MLB pipeline is joining me to preview the MLB draft, which of course gets underway Sunday evening. Uh, Jim, uh, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you joining me. Um, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. It's like a tradition. Like, like honestly, if we didn't do this podcast, I would not feel like the draft was four days away because I feel like we do it every Wednesday, the final week leading up to the draft every year. So um, glad to be here. Uh, obviously, it's a busy time and there's all kinds of non-draft related prospect stuff going on as well. But uh, it's a fun time and Kind of looking forward to seeing who's going to go where Sunday night. Yeah. Uh, so that, yeah, I was going to ask kind of a, for you to sort of handicap. I know you guys had an article go up yesterday, sort of handicapping who might go one, one, but uh, first let's, let's talk about those, those big three guys, uh, the college guys at the top. Uh, I feel like there's always hyperbole every time the draft comes around, you know, best, hitter since so-and-so best pitcher since so-and-so uh but it you know it does kind of seem like the the top two or three guys here are are pretty special uh and you can always we can always look back at the top five or ten picks of an mlb draft and see some really clear mistakes uh, sometimes even at the very top uh you know i think like the orioles for instance deserve a ton of credit for nailing the jackson holiday pick last year and even for, for not getting too cute with the, the Adley Rutschman pick in, in 2019. Um, but it, it does sort of feel like uh, the two LSU guys, Dylan Cruz and Paul Skeens, plus Wyatt Langford from Florida, it, it feels kind of like they're, they're can't miss prospects if we kind of turn injuries off. Uh, is, is that how you see it? Is this about as safe as the top of a draft can get? Yeah, I think so. And I think, um, I mean, I'd even throw the two high school kids in there. If you throw in Walker Jenkins and Max Clark, I think you have five guys who in a normal year would be like, okay, that's a strong number one pick. And there happened to be five of them. Um, but you're right. I mean, it, I mean, you never know if guys are going to get hurt. But if you take that aside, like the order we have them ranked, and we have Paul Skeen's number one, 
and I know there's there's pitcher risk, but I also think if you're talking about the best, <laughs> we'll go hyperbole here. If you want to talk about the best pitching prospect in draft history, probably to, you know it, it was Steven Strasburg, and you could go either way. It, you know, Paul Skeens is right there in that conversation. Those are probably the top two, and you know you want to talk about injuries. Mark Pryor is number three. Um, we have Dylan Cruz at number two. And Dylan Cruz, I think, is as safe a bet to hit as any college guy you can really have. I mean, there's, it's, a, it's a great swing. It's a great approach. He uses the opposite field. He, he's extremely disciplined. I mean, I, I joke, like, if you're going to – like, the only thing you can kind of cool with, you're like, okay, maybe you wish he was left-handed for the platoon advantage. <laughs> but, like, and he, and he, he's got – you know, it's going to be, I think, 25, 30 homer power – you know, I think you feel even better about him playing center field. You know, not only is a lock, but you feel better that he that he could um, than you did coming into the year. Um, so he feels pretty good. Uh, Wyatt Langford, you know, pretty put up similar numbers to Dylan Cruz in a different way. Like, they're, like they're very comparable. Their overall numbers are kind of the same. I think Langford's got more power than Dylan Cruz. I don't think he's quite as pure a hitter as Dylan Cruz, and he's not as quick as Dylan Cruz. So he might be. A corner guy, although that doesn't really matter. I guess it matters for fantasy standpoint if you're in a like a replay league, but like for like a standard artistic league where they're outfielders, you know, it's the same. So it's just I think Langford's could give you more power, maybe a little less batting average than Dylan Cruz, but you feel really good about him. And and you know, I mean, he's really only, he didn't play much as a freshman, I and mean, he's done all this just basically playing two years. Yeah. Um, and then you know, Jenkins and Clark, you know, it's funny like. You, we did, and I think most people would put them behind Cruz and Langford because Cruz and Langford have succeeded at the highest level of college baseball. The SEC is the best conference. They both went to the College World Series finals and performed. Um, so you have more certainty with them. But you could argue, I mean, Walker Jenkins, you know, both the high school kids hit left-handed. Like Walker Jenkins, you could kind of look at and say, well, that's kind of maybe a left-handed, more physical version of Wyatt Langford. He just hasn't done it in the SEC. And Max Clark, I don't think has the power these other guys have. It's more average power. But Max Clark could be plus hit, plus plus speed. Um, you know, he's the quickest and most athletic of these guys. I mean, he's got, you know, four plus tools or better and average power. So all five of these guys are, are super interesting. Um, and I, you, like I said, I mean, in a normal draft, you'd feel pretty good. Like if, like we have Max Clark ranked fifth, but I think in most drafts, You'd be like, hey, Max Clark, that's a little bit better than average number one overall pick. So how would you know? I think everyone sort of knows about Cruz. Um, Wyatt Langford is, you know, is he someone that you view as as a better prospect right now than say, uh, you know, a, a Spencer Torkelson or an Andrew Vaughn uh, the year of their their draft class? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's funny. So like, I'm gonna. Be, I mean, look. Torkelson hasn't done what we thought he was going to do, but like looking at how he was regarded at the time, which is, I think the way to look at these guys, because yeah. it's easy with hindsight to say, Oh man, Spencer Torkelson, yeah. I don't know what's going on there. But I mean, guys were going crazy about Spencer Torkelson. They were saying he's the best college hitter in maybe a couple decades could almost go straight to the big leagues. So I don't think he's as good as Spencer. Tor Spencer Torkelson had done it for three years. Um, you know, Langford's more athletic like Langford's probably a corner outfielder as opposed to a first baseman. Um, Torkelson was a better prospect. I think you'd probably put Torkelson ahead of him for both hitting ability and power potential 
at, at the same time. Um, you know, Andrew Vaughn, I'd say he's a better prospect than Andrew Vaughn because of the position. Like, I think, I mean, if you were, you know, if you had to pick one, you'd maybe say Andrew Vaughn maybe was a little bit better hitter, but Lankford had more power. Um, you know, pretty comparable, I think, offensive players. Um, but I think Lankford's going to have more positional value for you. Whereas Vaughn, you pretty much knew Vaughn was 100% first base. And like I said, Torkelson, you'd kind of suspected that too, but the bat was was crazy good. And then with Clark and Jenkins, uh, you know, I know last – because the whole theme with last year's class was just the the loaded – the prep position players up top. Uh, I, I mean, I don't think – you know, Jackson Holiday has been just so outstanding. Um, it's it's tough to say you'd take one of these guys over them. Yeah. Um, but like uh, you would, you wouldn't, because I think the separator would be the Jackson Holiday was a shortstop, and okay. Jenkins and Clark are outfielders. Um, how about how about versus say Drew Jones, Tamar, Elijah Green from last? Yeah, year? like so. And I was going to say offensively, Jenkins has more power than Holiday, but Holiday's a better hitter than than him or Clark. So like versus. Um, Drew Jones, as a, I, I would take Drew Jones as a prospect. But part of that was factoring in you were like, like, like he's seventy runner, seventy defense. Like you're talking about, like it was an easy comparison. Like, right. like he could be his dad defensively. That's how good Drew Jones is. So that would probably be the separator. I think he's a similar offensive player, maybe a little less polished hitter, and we've seen that in pro ball. He's gone off to a little bit of a slow start. Um, Tamar, you know, it's weird. Tamar struggled more than I thought he would, although he's, he's been hotter recently. I, I would probably take those guys over Tamar. Tamar was, a, like, some guys were saying Tamar was the best high school hitter they could remember, just pure hitter. But I don't think he had any, I, like, I think Jenkins' power was better, like, at least a full grade better than Tamar's. And Max Clark is a better runner. So especially for fantasy purposes, I would take those guys over tomorrow, although you could factor in second base uh, for tomorrow too. I, I think they'd, they'd be close. That would kind of be like pick your preference. I think both from a, a real life and a fantasy standpoint, you know, how do you want to go about it? And then Elijah Green has, has better all-around tools than all these guys, but there were swing and miss concerns, and those still exist. I mean, he's striking out a ton. So I think <laughs> you would just say what we said last year, we were talking because it was a pretty good high school group at the top last year. Is that Elijah Green has the highest ceiling of any of these guys, but he comes with the most risk. And I think because of that, you would put him, I guess, at six high school guys. He would be sixth on that list. So I, I sort of teased the the odds uh, article that you guys had put up uh, yesterday, <laughs> um, and you know, I, I I'm just kind of curious. So this this went up July fourth. Uh, very interesting read. Uh, you guys had Dylan Cruz um, as sort of the, the highest percent chance to go one and followed by Skeens. Um, d- has anything you've heard since that article went up or, or, you know, how would your take on that sort of stand as of today in terms of odds <laughs> of these guys going number one? Because uh, I know you're not allowed to sort of give uh, explicit gambling advice, but there are places where you can gamble on who will go number one. Yeah. Uh, and what's crazy too on that is that we noticed this last year, like there isn't that much information out. And so 
I'm not saying this. I will put in disclaimer. Like if I said like right now, hey, I think Rhett Lauder is going number one. And we talked about it and that got out. Rhett Lauder's odds would be like they change. And it's like the thing is like like the the craziest part of this was last year. So nobody knew who the Orioles were going to pick for sure. We thought it was Holiday Jones, but we didn't really know. And then I think Keith Law earlier in the week, I think he projected Brooks Lee going number one. And Brooks Lee suddenly became like the second biggest favorite to go number one, just based on Keith's mock. Yep. And and I'm not knocking Keith, but I'd never heard Brooks Lee go number one. I was just like, that's crazy. You know, it's like the the Will Levis. I don't know if you follow football, like Will Levis, the Kentucky quarterback. Somebody on Reddit said that Will Levis was telling his family that he was going to go number one to the Panthers. And so, um, but he suddenly became the second biggest favorite on the betting odds shifted based on a Reddit post. And so on, on the Friday before the draft, Jonathan Mayo, my colleague, I think he surveyed like 30, roughly 30, 30 officials who, and then we clearly said, this is not who's going number one. This is who would you take if you had the number one pick clearly labeled, clearly labeled. Right. And I forget what the results that were, but the odds shifted immediately after that article came out based on the results of the article. So it's, it, it's insane. And it's funny because We've talked about like the pirates are doing. It makes for the it's the right strategy. You don't tell anybody anything. You engage all five of these guys. They're all legitimate number one picks, and you try to get a sense of what's going to take to sign them all. And who knows? Maybe somebody you know at the end is like, oh, gets a little nervous. If I don't go one, I might go here. I'll take less. So they're just letting these guys stew. Like they're they're engaging with them all. And so when we, I think we said on the podcast explicitly. Like, we're doing this in our heads, but there's no concrete intel. It's just kind of reading vibes and what other teams are getting. Right before I came on your podcast, two things. One, so we had Cruz. We both had Cruz as the odds-on favorite. And I texted – or Jonathan slacked at me, and he said – and I I slacked at him. I was like, who do you have going – like, he's working on a mock for Friday as we record this on a Wednesday. And I said, who's, who's going number one in your mock right now? And he said, Skeens, which, of course, contradicts the odds we had. And then I was talking to a team – the pick's pretty high and was talking to somebody with the pirates and the pirates have made no decision yet, which is why everybody, the odds shifting on draft betting is crazy because nobody knows. We're just, we're just making educated guesses. But anyway, I was talking to some, I was texting with somebody who's picking very high and he said, somebody with pirates said who, who's in the inner circle said no decisions yet, but don't be shocked if we don't take schemes or crews. So I'm starting to get the vibe. Like, a lot of people assume because in 2021 they had the number one pick and they took Henry Davis and then they, they looked to save money so they could spend it on other guys. But that was a different draft. You didn't have like any five of these guys would have been the number one prospect in 2021. So like, I, I think it's too easy and uh, I'll get on my, my mock draft high horse. I think people who don't talk to people and just amalgamate their mock drafts. Cause I feel like there's five or six of us who actually try to talk to teams and, and get information, and then everybody and their mother has a mock draft, and they just pick and choose. It's like, oh, the Pirates went cheap and, or t- did a discount in 2021, so they're going to do it again. It's an entirely different draft. But I, I'm beginning to think it might not be one of the LSU guys. Um, everybody talks about Max Clark going one because he's probably the most likely to go five if he doesn't go one. Um, and I think, he, I, I think he'd be the most willing to cut a deal because, you know, and that plays into to go to one, so you'd save the most money. I think Langford's a dark horse. I, I think Dylan Cruz is really, really good. And I would take Dylan Cruz over Langford. 
But Dylan Cruz has been talked about all year. And I think the average fan thinks the gap between Cruz and Langford is probably bigger than it is. And it's really not. It's more just like, would you rather have – and when I say hit over power, I'm not saying Dylan Cruz is going to hit 12 homers a year. But, like, would you rather have the hit over power guy who's a better athlete or would you rather have the power over hit guy who's a little less athlete? Like, I think they're going to be similar – produce similar big league value. They're just going to arrive at in different ways. And so I wonder, like, I, I don't know. I don't know who's going number one as we record this. Like if it's a deal, like the back of my mind keeps saying, don't sleep on Wyatt Lankford. So we'll see. Like I would, we would probably totally redo our odds from that article that went up yesterday. Are there any, is there anything specific about the Pirates and kind of the way that they develop players or just their personal preferences in terms of player archetypes that, that would make you lean anyway? Like, I, I feel like Holiday in the Orioles was just kind of a glove and hand fit last year with him being a, you know, a, a shortstop. Um, they, they had a lot of outfielders. Um, they had a lot of infielders too, though, because they had Gunnar Henderson yeah. and Westberg and Ortiz and Connor Norby. But yeah, I mean, not really. I mean, you don't draft for needed one, but I mean, you always need pitch. I, I, you look, I mean, a lot of their high picks recently and a lot of their best prospects are position players. So I, I think you could argue they could use a pitcher more, but, you know, I don't, I mean, they took. And part of it was a function where they were picking. I mean, they got the best pure hitter in last year's draft, Termar Johnson. So you could say, well, Dylan Cruz kind of fits that mold. And, I mean, you could make that argument. Nick Gonzalez was one of the best pure hitters. So so maybe you could do it that way. But, you know, they've taken college guys. They've taken high school guys. Um, I think a lot of it is just going to be coming down to, to strat. I mean, I oversimplify things, and I always acknowledge – I'm a reporter. I don't have to pay one of these guys eight, nine million dollars. And if I get it wrong, I'm not going to lose my job in a couple of years. So it's easy for me to say, like, if it were me, and I will say this, the Pirates should take Paul Skeens. But in a broad, more broadly, whoever the Pirates think the best guy is, they should take that guy and pay him because I, I think Dylan Cruz would be the most expensive guy, James. And he would probably cost nine points. He'd probably be 500000 or slot. The slots are up 10% this year. He's going to set the record if he goes one, and maybe even if he doesn't. But the record's 8.4, which Torkelson got. He's not like the slot's 9.7. I don't think anybody's getting 9.7. There, there's rumors that Cruz wants 10, but he's I don't he's not getting 10. I, I don't think anybody's gonna pay him 10. But like even if you if, if Cruz is your guy, and let's say you decide, okay, we could get him for 9.2, you're gonna save 500000 there. Your bonus pulls over $16 million. So if you spend the 5% overage that you can go to without losing a pick, that's another 800000 So I could theoretically take Dylan Cruz if I think he's the best guy. And still have an extra 1.3 million in this huge bonus pool to play with. Um, so I don't need to cut a deal to make something happen. And then the other thing that drives me a little insane is nobody talks about this. The Pirates don't pick again until 42. Good luck. Even if you have four guys you really like that you're going to do a discount early and, you know, get somebody else, um, you know, get other guys, you can't guarantee those guys are going to get to 42. There, there's, I think, Nine teams that have either their second pick or, in the Mariners' case, their third pick as well before the Pirates pick, pick again, and they have $13 million-plus bonus pools. So, to me, I'd be very leery, like, oh, the strategy, we're going to save money and then do all this damage later because I don't know who you're going to get at 42. Like, like, you can try to push guys there, but 
other people need to say we have money too and we're just going to pay that guy yeah and um just just for the record at, at the very moment we're recording this um Skeens is the favorite to go one on DraftKings at at plus 105 Cruz plus 205 Max Clark plus 400 White Langford plus 650 um and I just I know those odds could change any it's, it's, it's crazy and it's funny because I hadn't looked at them but I we were do I we I don't know if we said this on podcast but I told Jonathan because I did my last mock last week but in between um Keith Law's done a mock Jonathan's done a mock since I've done mine and I think Kyle McDaniel's done a mock and they all had skeins going one and so like we were like curious what the odds were and we could we were looking quickly and didn't find them and I said I, I'm sure skeins has got to be number one. Because these people, you know, credible people who talk to a lot of people in the industry, even though none of them, if you if you put the administered lie detector tests, truth serum, they would tell you they don't know who's going number one. It's just they're making educated guesses. That's what it is. Like, like that's what it's based on. So, again, I by MLB policy, I'm not allowed to offer any specific gambling advice on baseball. But if you listen closely to the podcast. I told you early in this podcast, without knowing what those odds were, who I think the good play might be. So take that what you will. What? Where do you stand? Uh, and you might even sort of have an idea of this right now. But, uh, you know, there's been a lot of sort of debate about as soon as Paul Skeens gets drafted, is he the best pitching prospect in the minor leagues? Yes. Uh, yes. Yeah. It's one, he's that good. And two, the crazy thing is, and we talked about this. There's like very few, almost every pitcher who's been on our list has either gone to the big leagues or been hurt. Like, so Bobby Miller's our highest ranked pitching prospect right now. But he's going to graduate in two days once the Dodgers send him down. So then our next guy's Andrew Painter. He's been hurt. Our next guy's Gavin Williams, who's in the big leagues. He's going to graduate soon. So, like, the highest ranked healthy guy on our list is Kyle Harrison, who I really like. But Paul Skeens is better than Kyle Harrison. So yes, he will, he will be, I mean, I get, we do, I do the list with, with Sam Dykstra and Jonathan. So I, I think we're all, I think we believe it. It's not just me saying this, but I guess I could get outvoted, but yeah, I think to me, he'd be pretty obviously be the top fishing prospect. And what do you see? And, you know, maybe it'll depend on where these guys go. Uh, how quickly do you see the, the three college guys we've been discussing getting to the big leagues? I think Skeens, I mean, everybody kind of likens him to Strasburg, but I think it's going to be a similar path. I mean, I, I don't think he's going to pitch this year because, he, you know, long season, college world series. And I think, you know, they'll start him in high A or double A next year. And, I mean, again, I'm not saying he's, none of these guys are can't miss, you know, 100% can't miss. But he's got stuff. He's got command. I don't really know what he's going to do. Like, maybe he, maybe he might need to refine the change a little bit more. Although I think – we now – I don't think we believe as strong as we did ten, even 10 years ago that you need three pitches to be a starter. If you have two wipeout pitches, throw those two pitches 90% of the time. And his changeup looked pretty good at the College World Series. He just hasn't used it a lot. So, I mean, maybe when he'll get the pro ball, he'll find out something that he needs to address. But I honestly, outside of refining the changeup and using a little bit more, don't know what that is. So I think it's a case of when his team decides they want him. Now – I do think if he doesn't go one, I do think Nationals take him at two. Like, I feel more confident about the Nationals pick than I do about the Pirates pick. I think the Nationals are going to take an LSU guy, and it's going to be Skeens over Cruz if they're both there. 
Um, and, you know, it comes down if the Nationals aren't contending next year, is there really reason to bring him up to the big leagues? Like maybe at the end, but you certainly don't want to bring him up. If the Nationals aren't going to contend next year, I don't think you want to bring him up to where he loses his prospect eligibility and then you lose that shot at the Julio Rodriguez right. extra first, you know, end of the first round pick you know, incentive for having him on your opening day roster. So I think he'd be ready at some point next year. It's just a matter of whether that makes sense to the team. And then with Cruz and Lankford, I think, I mean, being realistic, you're in the minors at some point in 2025. Um, again, I mean, these guys are really good. Could you say, yeah, they might be, I mean, you, know, you look back, Alex Bregman came out of LSU, and he was in the big leagues on a team that uh, you know was a playoff-caliber team. <laughs> like, he was starting at him every day by, like, the following July. So, like, I, I think I think Cruz may – I think Langford may need slightly more time to adjust to pro ball once they get going because I think Cruz's natural hitting ability is a little bit better, and that will kind of ease the transition slightly more. But it's not like Langford's a big swing and miss guy. But I think we're probably talking realistically – 2025 on those guys again i mean if let's say pittsburgh drafts crews and they contend or let's say detroit drafts crews or or it gets langford and then al central you know nobody wants to run away with it maybe it's very winnable next year and you see those teams promote those guys mid-season if they think they're ready to help very good stuff uh all right i gotta head to a quick message from our sponsor but when uh when i get back uh, Jim and I will discuss uh, the players outside of the top five. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. 
Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at Babbel.com slash BlueWire. That's 60% off at Babbel.com slash BlueWire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash BlueWire. Rules and restrictions apply. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's U-N-I-F-Y-D healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. We know the weather can impact how far a ball can fly, but we never know what all the heat and humidity or cold air is really doing to the ball. Home Run Forecast Index gives us an easy way to determine how good or bad the air is for the ball flight. The index is calculated by measuring stadium-specific weather conditions and is displayed on a scale from 1 to 10, 1 being the most unfavorable for a good ball flight and 10 indicating the most favorable air. There is a strong correlation between the index and the number of runs scored per game and the number of home runs hit. Games that have the highest index, 10 for the whole game, average over 10 runs and 2.8 homers over the course of a year. An index is created for each game so you can see what it will be in any stadium and how the weather's influence might change over the course of the game as well as the wind direction. Right now, you can get access to the HRF premium site for only $5 a month and see what the index will look like for every hour of every game. Go to homerunforecast.com now to sign up. Okay, Jim, we're back. Uh, so, you know, we talked about the top five guys, very exciting top five. Uh, what are some of the strengths and weaknesses in this class outside of that top five? Yeah. Similar kind of to the makeup of the top five. It's a very hitter heavy draft. We've got two college pitchers who are going to go pretty quick after schemes. And that would be Rhett Louder, Wake Forest and Chase Dolan Tennessee. And then, Hurston Waldrop of Florida is going to go in the first round somewhere. And that might be it. I mean, you have guys like Ty Floyd for LSU, who was really good in his last start at the College World Series, but it's not like he's been consistent all year. You got Joe Whitman at Kent State, who's really interesting, who pitched a total of five innings at Purdue the previous two years. You have Hunter Owen at Vanderbilt, um, who missed for the final eight weeks of the season. <laughs> Those are your next best college pitchers. Like, I don't really think there's only going to be four guys taken in the first round or the first round and in, in, in the sandwich round, but there's only four guys who are locks. And then there's some good high school pitchers. You've got, you know, Noble Myers, the clear best one. He's a kid from Oregon. Then you have guys like Thomas White and Charlie Soto and, and so on. But teams usually take high school pitchers. They're usually more comfortable paying them over slot with their second pick than taking them with their first pick. We, we aren't going to see a lot of high school pitchers go high. So we have, there, there's 28 official first round picks. There's 39 picks before the second round starts. And we might see, you know, something like 
22 of the 28 first rounders are hitters and 30 plus of the 39 guys before the second round are hitters. And it's, but then it makes it both fun and frustrating trying to do mock drafts is, so we, we talked about the best hitters, you know, the two college outfielders, two high school outfielders. And then it's pretty similar. You have a tier of about six college hitters and probably about six high school hitters. And then you have another tier behind them of about half dozen more on each side. And so like that, that second tier hitters goes about 12 deep college, high school. And honestly, I think like Kyle Teal of Virginia is going to go really good. Like he's probably going to go in the top 10. But almost everybody else in that hitting group, James, could go sixth or seventh, or they could go like 22, depending. Because like somebody, somebody had, you can't take, you can't say, I mean, these guys are all similar. It's just who you like. But each team has to pick one guy. So somebody's got to get pushed down. Um, and that's, it's going to be interesting to try to figure out. You know, like, okay, like, you know, again, I think we're making educated guesses. Like, you know, I keep projecting Brain Taylor TCU to go six to the A's because I keep hearing that. But there's also a chance Brain Taylor could go closer to like 21 or 22 because um, there's, I think, five or six college bats who are all kind of similar. It's just a matter of do you like, you know, I think Kyle Teal will go pretty good. But do you like Brain Taylor? Do you like Jacob Wilson? Do you like Jacob Gonzalez? Do you like Matt Shaw? Do you like Tommy Troy? Do you like Enrique Bradfield? Like, one of those guys has to be the last one of those guys to go. Um, and it's kind of similar with the high school group as well. So who is your, just your personal second favorite pitcher in the class? Okay. I, I'm going to stick with Chase Dolan. He had a really inconsistent year in Tennessee where you know, he had an ERA over 10 in the first inning. It seemed like most of his starts, he had a bad inning. Um, last start in Omaha, he went three innings and had to come out. You know, he was in a jam. He, you come into the year. I mean, I, I'm proud. We had we had Paul Skeen's fourth on our list. I think we had Paul Skeen's fourth on our list coming the year higher than anybody else. But we had Chase Dolander number two. And, the, and back then we were saying Chase Dolander might be the best college pitching prospect since Garrett Cole or um, or Steven Strasburg. And he just didn't have that kind of year. Like you could see the stuff if you watch a pitch. The stuff's still there. It's just not consistent. Like, he's not wild, but last year, I mean, he had, you know, plus command. Like, he could put his pitch where he wanted. This year, it's been more erratic. And so, like, that's a concern. Like, if you're investing, you know, millions of dollars in him, you wished he had a better year, and he never really kind of snapped out of it. But talking to teams, there's a lot of thought. Like, you get some teams are like, I don't know what to do with this guy. Like, I don't know how to explain this year. And you get other teams who think, for whatever reason, he dropped his arm slot. And it, it messed up his command, and that's why it wasn't as sharp. And they think it's a simple fix. You get his arm slot back up to where it was as a sophomore, and you're going to get Chase Dol- Dolander as a sophomore. So I would I would take Dolander's ceiling over Rhett Lauder's floor. Okay. Um, yeah, that, that does seem like a floor versus ceiling there. Um, and then if you could throw in Noble Meyer, who's a really talented high school guy. But it's just I'm not, I'm not at the school – Never take a high school guy in the first round, high school arm in the first round. But I would take like I would take Dolander over Meyer because they're both ceiling guys. And I've seen Dolander have a lot of success in college. You could if ceiling versus floor, you could argue Meyer versus Louder, because Meyer has a higher ceiling. But but then, but at the same time, I'm kind of like <laughs> minimizing Rhett Louder's ceiling here. Like his floor stands out because his I think he's got the best control command of all these guys. Um and he's got a really good change up. 
And it's not, he doesn't have a classic, it's not like an upper 90s fastball and it's not classic fastball shape to where you're like, wow, it likes more of a solid fastball. But he really did improve his slider and he really does command the fastball. So when I'm saying he's floor versus ceiling, like I think Rhett Louder is probably more of a number three starter, which again are worth their weight in gold because nobody even has a good number three starter, but like a good bet to get there. Whereas Chase Dolan could be that guy who could pitch in your front two spots of the rotation. And Noble Meyer is too. I think they've got a greater chance of being that guy, but there's also more risk of him getting there. So I would take Dolander, but I don't think there's a big separation between them. Hurston Waldrop uh, from Florida is, is pretty interesting to me just because he had maybe the three best starts of his life in June. And then he walked six against LSU, but <laughs> um it just seemed he seems to me like a guy where and the the command and control are obviously a huge issues for him but if he goes to a an organization that has a, a track record a strong track record of developing starting pitching i'd be very intrigued by his upside uh where, where are you at on waldrop yeah i mean he's he's the next college pitcher after the three we've talked about um and he's i mean i think he's going to go in the middle of the first round somewhere I mean, the stuff's pretty crazy. I mean, you can see him up to 99 with a fastball. His best pitch is that splitter. It's it's upper it's you know upper 80s, and it just dives at the plate. There's not really a consistent track record of strikes. And like, so on one hand, like you could say almost everybody comes with a reliever risk, and he does come with this significant amount of reliever risk. At the same time, I don't think that's the pejorative it was even 10 years ago because starters aren't going more than four, five, six innings. You know, we're having relievers go three, four innings. We get to the postseason. We see it all the time. Super valuable. Have a guy come in and get nine outs in the fourth through sixth innings and, and keep the game in hand and, and get it to your your end of the bullpen, guys. Um, I think the concern with him, like yeah, the upsides there is huge. And the slider is pretty good, too. Um, it's it not as good as the fastball and splitter, which are, which are well above average pitches. The concern with him and I like him, so I'm not picking on him, but you put all these guys under the microscope when they go in the first round is he relies very heavily on that splitter. And the splitter is not a strike pitch. It, it, like Casey Mize could command his splitter. Most guys, the splitter, they're getting you to chase it out of the zone, obviously. And so the question becomes, he doesn't throw a ton of strikes. What happens when he faces better hitters in pro ball and then the big leagues who can discern pitches out of the hand better and they may just be like, hey, I'm laying off the splitter, you know, early in the count. I'm just not going to swing if it's a splitter and we'll make him throw it for strike. You know, what's going to happen? So he is really good. Um, I do think there's considerably more reliever risk with him than the other three guys we're talking about. Now you turn around, since we're talking fantasy baseball, like his reliever risk isn't like, Oh, I don't know if this guy's good enough to start her. His reliever risk is if he goes to the bullpen, that's a closer. Like, so from a fantasy standpoint, Hurston Waldrop, could be more valuable than the other three guys if he's the guy who winds up going to the pen and, and rips off 35 saves a year. Because his stuff is closer good. Yeah, I think that's that's very well put. Um, I'm very interested to see where he goes. Uh, what do you – so my – you know, I've only done kind of deep dives on 40, 50 guys so far, but I, I really like – Matt Shaw from Maryland. Um, but I do sort of have this concern in the back of my head that he's, you know, he's a big 10 hitter. Um, 
there's just I don't know. Is there is is that a is that a red flag at all to you just in terms of the, the caliber of competition versus the guys in the SEC? Um, it's it's funny because I usually get get wound up. I, you know, I live outside of Chicago and I went to the University of Georgia, and and I know Ohio State gave Georgia a very good game in the playoffs last year. But I hate living in Big Ten football country. I know we're not playing football because it's just not as good as the SEC. It's not as deep. Like it, it's not. And the same is true in baseball. But, you know, another thing is Maryland's park is, I think it's like 380 to center. I might be, I might be a little off on that, but like it's, it's a very hard place to pitch and a great place to hit. But so, yeah, I mean, if you're comparing Matt Shaw to say Jacob Gonzalez from a performance standpoint, you have to kind of take into account like one guy did in the SEC, one guy did in the Big Ten. But I'm with you. I really like Matt Shaw. We have him ranked 16th. I think he's going to go higher than that. He might be the first of that second tier of college hitters taken. Um, the thing that makes you feel good about him is he went to the Cape Cod League last summer. He was the MVP, and he hit 360 with power with wood bats. So, like, in the back of my mind, I would have – like, if it wasn't for that, I'd be like, ah. It's, like, it, it's more Maryland's ballpark would bother me a little bit. Like, they had a guy drove in 100 runs this year. They score a million runs all the time. And like, I mean, look, they produce some like Brandon Lyles has been a very good big leaguer. He came out of Maryland too. But that would be in the back of my head. And I'd maybe knock him down. He'd still be a first rounder, but I'd maybe knock him down a little bit. But the fact that he was so good on the Cape um, with wood bats against, you know, very good competition, the the Big Ten Maryland aspect of it doesn't really bother me at all. And like he could go, I think he could go in the top ten, James. I I, I really do. Yeah, I mean, I, I just uh, statistically, I mean, I always love when a guy does what he did on the Cape. Um, yeah, it's just that if I, if it were to not work out, I might kick myself for for being that into a, a Big Ten hitter. Yeah, um, you got to look at the Cape. Honestly, the stats that matter more for any of these guys, even the SEC guys, I'd say, is what they did on the Cape. Like if guys spent a full season right now, like, you know, a lot of college pitchers take the summer off. So I don't know if the Cape is – as good as it was in its best days, but it's still, you're seeing guys with wood bats. And to me, like it showed me he can hit with wood. He can hit with, he can, you know, hit for power with wood. I'm not worried. I mean, the only, like, if you're, if you're, you're nitpicking him, like, I don't think he's a shortstop. Like I think he's a second baseman, but he, I think he's going to hit. And like I said, I think he's going to go really, really high. So another, another college hitter I like is uh, Brock Wilkin. Um, obviously the, the power potential is, is really kind of the, the selling point there. Um, he really decreased the strikeouts this year. Uh, what, where are you at on, on Wilkins hit tool? Like how, how do you kind of project him profiling for fantasy? Yeah. I, I mean, I still think he's like, I mean, it's obviously power over hit. I mean, he's got anybody who saw him playing the post. He's like six, four, massive power. I mean, wakes a launching pad too, but I mean, this guy hit, 71 homers in three years awake, all-time ACC record. I believe. Well, he set so many records, I lost track. He made <laughs> the ACC single-season record and not the career record. He holds the weight career record. Anyway, he, he set a number of records. He played two summers on the Cape, and he hit 11 homers there in 68 games with we that. So you feel pretty good about that. And it's interesting because – so last summer he did struggle. He hit 229 on the Cape. He struck out 35 times 32 games after a season in which he struck out at about a 24, 25% clip at Wake. And coming into the year, everybody acknowledged he's got big power. 
But especially because of that Cape, he hit 302 on the Cape after his freshman season, but he struggled on the Cape last summer. And people were like, not sure about the bat. And this year, you know, he wound up, I'm trying to do the math in my head and I'm failing, but he cut his strikeout rate, it looks like, from about 24% to 19, 18, 19% at, at Wake. I mean, he's going to strike. He, he doubled his walk total literally from 34 to 69, which I guess is not technically literally, but close. Um, <laughs> and he just looked much more in control at the plate. And, and, and he, what was interesting was, I mean, sometimes you'll see this, you know, guys, especially going their draft year, like, hey, that guy struggled in the cape. He's striking out too much. Okay, he's got to cut down his swing. And I think he did make some adjustments to tone some, tone some things down, but he didn't cost himself power. Like, that's the thing. Like, if he had hit – 345 at Wake and, and walked a lot more and struck out less and hit 16 homers, it'd be like, well, which version of Brock Wilkin do we want? But I, I think you're looking at a guy who, you know, is probably a 45 hitter on the 20 to 80 scale. So, like, like I, well, what's that? What's average big leader hit right now? Is, are we down to, like, like 253, something like that? Yeah. So, like, I, I mean, I could see him being a guy who hits, like, 240, 250, but with a ton of power. And, and I think from a – from a fantasy standpoint, I don't think he's going to be a gold glover, but I also think, and I'll give him credit because like sometimes like, like his ticket is his power, but he's worked hard to become a better defender. And I think coming into the year, it was more like he, he has a really good arm, but like, I don't know if he can play third to, okay. Like, like not a lot, but it seems a lot more viable. He's, you know, he'll certainly get every chance. So I, I'm feeling just as good as I did about Brock Wilkins power coming into the year. And I feel better about his bat, and I feel better about his ability to stay, stay at third base. So, you know, he's going to be another one of those guys. I didn't even put him in that quite that that second tier of college hitters. I have him like kind of at the top of my third tier. But again, I mean, if you told me Brock Wilkin won 15, sure, I could believe that, and then that pushes somebody else. To, it, it's going to be fascinating because there's so much variance in where these guys can go. So, uh, another guy that that I'm I'm pretty excited about uh is tommy troy but um you know he's kind of he seems like he's good at everything but there's maybe not the one standout tool with him uh does he does tommy troy does he remind you of anyone um do you have a good sort of feel for how you you see him profiling at the big league level yeah it's funny it's like (laughs) this isn't the best comp because they're in the same draft um he kind of reminds me of matt shaw to be honest i mean they're both right-hand hitters they're roughly the same size. They, I don't think either one was really shortstop big league level, but those dudes can really hit. Matt Shaw was MVP of the Cape. Tommy Troy won the Scouts Award, I think, is the best prospect on the Cape. I think they both can hit for like, I think they both can really hit. I think they've got more power than you think from a guy who's you know five ten, five eleven, you know hundred ninety or so pounds. They both run pretty well, so like like. And that's what's kind of thrown when we're doing these mocks into chaos. I feel like he and Tommy Troy are moving up, 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 but then like who's coming down? Mm-hmm. Um, but that's that's who he reminds me of. I mean, that doesn't do anything for your for your listeners who maybe may haven't seen these guys play, but like I, I think they're very similar players and very similar track records. Um, you know, like like your you know Tommy Troy probably faced better competition in a more realistic ballpark at Stanford than, than Matt Shaw did at Maryland, but they broke both proved themselves on the Cape. And yeah, I mean, Tommy Troy's another guy. I think he could go around 10. Um, and again, I mean, we're not even talking about guys, teams cutting deals, which is always going to happen here or there, 
you might have somebody cut a deal and maybe one of these guys goes six or something. But, um, but yeah, but he's on the rise. He's on the rise. You're doing a good job, James. You're picking all these guys who are, who are, who are on the way up, I think. Absolutely. <laughs> well, uh, this, this next guy, Chase Davis, uh, from Arizona, uh, he's been getting a ton of buzz in fantasy circles because of the exit velocities and the plate skills this year, but it was obviously a big jump up in terms of the, the, the swing and miss the swing decisions this year compared to the rest of his career. Uh, are you kind of a full on believer in chase Davis, what he showed as a junior or should there be some skepticism just kind of based on how big of a jump it was relative to his, his past performance? Yeah. I mean, he performed pretty well last year, but I mean, he had 290 versus 360. And like, like you said, I mean, his strikeout numbers came way down. Um, you know, the power was pretty similar. I do. I, I'm, I, I, well, I won't, I'm not going to say full on believer. I'm, I pretty much believe in Chase Davis. The thing that would bother me a little bit is if you look at the two summers he's hit with wood bats in the Northwoods League, which is one of the best summer leagues, it's not the Cape, and the Cape Cod League, he's hit 208. Um, with four homers and 211 plate appearances. So, like, again, I mean, there's guys who've struggled in the Cape and gone on to have very good big league careers. Um, but so that, that a little, like, he did everything you wanted to see out of him this year. Like, he improved the plate, he made better swing decisions, he cut down the strikeouts without sacrificing power, um, and, you know, had a really nice year. That would just bother me a little bit. Um, the strikeouts weren't horrible you know it's, it's about a 22 percent rate which is high but again the 208 and the four homers and 211 plate appearances that like like for me like and i'm not just drafting off cape stats i'd feel more comfortable taking matt shaw or tommy troy over chase davis because i, I just haven't seen chase davis perform with wood how do you compare uh pack 12 pitching uh to like I guess the Power Five conferences, what's sort of the hierarchy in terms of the, the caliber of pitching? Obviously, SEC is up there uh, in the top spot, but then how would I you feel? Like ACC, ACC is probably there. I mean, maybe that's just the wake and their pitching lab, and they're going to have like five guys go in the first three rounds this year, uh, pitching wise that, that, that jumps out at you. You know, and, and they, I mean, one of those guys, I mean, one of the best pitchers, the guy maybe had the best stuff in their staff at Tommy John surgery, and, or I guess he had an internal brace, not Tommy John and didn't pitch this year, and they still have the best pitching staff in the country. Um, I'd go kind of – I think I'd go SEC, ACC, um, and then probably Pac-12, Big 12, Big 10, like that. And and not to knock the Big 10, but this isn't football or basketball. Like, And I, I think the Big 10 – I don't want to get in trouble with the Big Ten. Big Ten school. Because I live here in Big Ten country. But I was going to say, I do think the Big Ten has made a commitment to baseball. And that as opposed to 10 or 15 years ago, where you maybe only had a fraction of the teams in the conference took took baseball seriously, that most of the teams have hired, you know, coaches who go after it. I think Big Ten baseball is better than it ever has been from top to bottom, the consistency, the, pro, the quality of the programs. But because of the weather, it's just hard to keep guys – like. If you're from up here, like like go look at Louisville's roster. It's it's a you know a ton of guys from Chicago. Like their two best prospects this year, Jack Payton and Christian Napchek are Chicago guys. Um, and like if you're from up this way, 
and you're really talented, you know, I'm at an SEC school. I'm bringing you in, you know, on a football weekend when it's 80 degrees in October, and you can come enjoy that when it's like 45 degrees up here. Most of those guys go to the warm weather school. So I think the Big Ten's on the bottom of that. Yeah, I, I went to University of Minnesota, and uh, there you go. I, that, that checks out. Um. <laughs> but like, well, I mean, I mean, Joe, we'll go back to Joe Mauer. Joe Mauer, you know, loved Minnesota, a good Minnesota kid. He's going to Florida State. He wasn't going right. to stick around <laughs> and play for the Gophers. Um, that, that's what happened. So, uh, so kind of switching gears to, to players I'm a bit more skeptical on. Uh, Jacob Wilson, you know, I definitely get the, the hit tool, uh, the, the, the bloodlines, um, but I'm, I'm pretty concerned about him from a fantasy standpoint, just given where the power and the, the speed are uh, and just sort of maybe how high that bar is for him uh, from a hit tool standpoint uh, for him to play. Uh, but where, where are you at on Jacob Wilson? Yeah, he's one like we've heard some, it's, it's funny, like, he could go maybe as high as five to the twins if, if they are hell bent on a college bat and not, a, you know, don't want a high school outfielder. And like I've had mocks where he's dropped, I think as low as 18, because I do think he's been a little bit on the microscope. It's not big exit velos. I've heard that from teams. They wonder a little bit about the power, you know, Grand Canyon. It's a good program, but like, it's not the sec. Um, I mean, he can hit, I mean, he's, he's going to hit, he's going to put the bat on the ball. I think he struck out, what seven times last year maybe five times this year <laughs> like you know he's got the big league bloodlines i know sometimes people are like oh bloodlines why they really matter i do think they matter more in baseball than other sports because i do think baseball is a sport where the reps matter it's not just sheer physical ability and you know no offense to Ellie de la cruz who has plenty of it but it's like if you're a pitcher or a hitter it's just you know getting at bats in a cage you know when you're you at a young age and and, and so i think we, we see time and time again, guys with bloodlines wind up being good players. It's an advantage. And I also think it helps them when they get to pro ball. They know what to expect. They aren't intimidated. If they go, you know, three for 50, they know it's part of the game. Those guys bounce back. I mean, well, Jackson Holiday is supremely talented. But I also think part of the reason Jackson Holiday just torn it up is he knew exactly what to expect. Like, there's nothing in pro ball that Jackson Holiday wasn't prepared for. Um, so I do think bloodlines matter. But I do think – you know, the, the power is a question. You know, I, I think Jacob Wilson's going to hit for average. Is it going to be 10, 12 homers? Is it going to be 15, 20? Like, that's a question. And he can – he's not slow, but he, like, from a fantasy standpoint, he's not going to be a big stolen base guy. So, you know, I, I do think he's, he's probably a better real-life player than a fantasy player because you know he's going to hit, and I think he can play – shortstop it might be an average big league shortstop i don't think it's a gold glove shortstop but he can play shortstop so that's got real value to me as a major league team from a fantasy standpoint you know if he hits 280 let's say it's 10 home runs and not a lot of steals like that's not super exciting you know there are better there are probably better guys to take from a fantasy standpoint but it's interesting you know, we were talking about matt shaw and tommy troy like i don't think those guys can play shortstop in the big leagues and i think jacob wilson can but I do think those guys are going to have more impact with the, with power and, and probably speed too than Jacob Wilson is. So, you know, I think from a fantasy standpoint, I'd rather have Sean Troy. From a big league standpoint, I'd probably want Jacob Wilson, but it would it would be close. Are you hearing anything about anyone in the first 
round or first 50 picks or so with uh, significant signability concerns? Um, not really. I mean, the high school pitchers, you're always going to have the question because teams don't, you know, teams never take the high school pitchers as high as anybody who does a list in the media ranks them because of the risk. So you never know which of those guys are going to wind up in school. I mean, I'd say just looking at our list, like probably the highest ranked guy. If I, well, if you, if, if the question were who's the highest ranked guy on your list who you think is going to go to college, my, my guess would probably be like at number 44, there's high school shortstop from Arizona named Rock Chalowski, really good shortstop. But I think it's a really strong commitment to UCLA. And there's probably at least eight or 10 high school shortstops. Some of them will move. He won't. But eight or 10 high school shortstops are going to go in the top 40 picks. So they can't all go in the top 40 picks. And you probably can't pay them all. So he might be the most. But like I haven't heard, you know, like, I mean, just to talk about two guys who were big names in this year's draft, Dylan Cruz and Kyle Teal pulled out of the last draft. I want to say Kyle Teal pulled out early, and I think Cruz pulled out close to the draft when he wasn't going to go as high as he wanted to divert him from LSU. You know, I haven't heard that, like, oh, player X wants $5 million, and if he doesn't get it, he's going to school type of thing to where, you know, for, for a guy who's not going to get that kind of money. So we, we haven't heard. I mean, I'll be honest on that stuff. You more kind of find out about that, like, when the guy doesn't go on day one, and then, like, the last chance to pay those guys is really, like, big money is early day three, day two, third round. And then, like, if you get through, like, the third round, like, Brock Porter last year was an exception because the Rangers pushed him to the fourth because they didn't have a third-round pick. But if, if, if the big money guys don't go early on day two at the top of the third round, then they're probably going to college. But, but I haven't heard a ton of talk about, about specific guys. I, just, I think Chalowski's probably the, the biggest. Did – did anyone uh, really help themselves or, or really impress you specifically at the, at the combine? Yeah. I mean, it's funny. Cause like the most important stuff, the combine for, for the vast, vast majority of players, cause these guys have all been scouted. You know, there's video of them all played summer ball or summer leagues. A lot of the top guys don't work out. You know, cause like if, I mean, Dylan Cruz with the college world series, but let's say he should, he's the combine. What, what's Dylan Cruz? doing BP is going to do. So the on-field stuff doesn't really matter as much for the most of the guys as the interviews with teams and the medical exams with teams. Um, so they, they, they know what they're dealing with medically. That said, like, I think the biggest thing the combine can do, the, the, the biggest class of player that the combine can help is a guy who had physical questions and you'd like to see him throw again or hit again. And, and so to me, the guy, I, I think clearly it was Cameron Johnson, who's a left-hander from IMG Academy in Bradenton. And he had, I've lost track of what type of tendonitis. He had tendonitis this spring. So he was kind of making a push up towards the first round, and he came down with, it was elbow tendonitis. And so he missed, like, the second half of the season, and he came back for the Florida All-Star game about a week before the Combine. But so the Combine, he pitched, and granted, now this is going to sound silly, because he pitched for three minutes. It wasn't like he pitched in a game and went six. But he looked perfectly healthy. He was throwing hard. The slider looked good. It was good spin rates. He's so physical. He's like 6'5", 240. He looked really, really good. So I'd say he helped himself. I think um, Hunter Owen from Vanderbilt helped himself. He was a guy who missed four of the final eight weeks. And he didn't kind of – I don't think he went full throttle. But, I mean, he, he threw for three innings. He, I, I don't know. We aren't privy to the actual results of the medicals. But I, he took a medical exam. 
And I assume if that went well, like I think he helped himself because it was again, you got to see him throw. It looked good. Didn't look like he was laboring. The stuff was there. You, you, you feel good. So probably those two guys. I mean, there are a lot of guys who took great BPs, um, like Brandon Winokur and George Wolkow. I mean, a lot of you guys. Like, uh, Kemp Alderman is one of my favorite kind of non-first-round sleepers from the SEC. But, like, we knew those guys could mash baseball. So, like, that wasn't a shock. It was just kind of reinforced. It was fun to watch, but it was just kind of reinforced. Like, if you, if you didn't know Kemp Alderman could crush the ball, like, he's hit – I don't know how many balls, like 450 feet and 110 plus mile exit velocities this spring at Ole Miss. I don't know. Like, like you, you weren't watching. Like, like so watching him put a ball to like the left of the, the batter's eye at Chase Field is like, yeah, that, that, that's the with a wood bat. I was like, okay, like doesn't shock me. Do you want to give your annual PSA on how much, uh, age matters for someone like uh you know like walker martin for instance being one of the older high school guys <laughs> in the class well now you're just trying to date me james because you know <laughs> I, hate, I hate i hate the age argument um i mean my, my quick version i'll try to distill this as quickly as possible one when you study things like like you do any kind of draft study mike trout breaks your study because he's so good that if you're, if you're let's say you're doing a study based on and you're using war as an example, Mike Trout's like the equivalent of like 12 or 15 good first round picks by himself. And Mike Trout was 17. And in any study you do, Mike Trout's going to tip the scales to whatever he was. And I get the argument that you, the 17 year old guy versus a 19 year old guy, if everything were equal, but it's rarely you have two identical prospects and one 17, one 19. If, if it's equal, I get the younger guy has more room to develop. You know, I 100% get that. But, you know, a couple of years ago, Bobby Witt was was 19 years old and I had a pretty notable, uh, you know, reporter, blogger go after me on Twitter. Like, couldn't believe I called Bobby Witt the, the best shortstop prospect since A-Rod because, of course, he's 19. I was called <laughs> irresponsible. And um, I think Bobby Witt's on pace for, what, 20 homers and 50 steals this year? Um you, you got to look at the player. You know, Manny Ramirez going way back was 19. But, yeah, so Walker Martin is a 19-year-old shortstop. And there are some teams that are going to hold that against him. Aiden Miller, even Aiden Miller from, from Florida. Like, it's weird. Like, Aiden Miller, I don't know how much, if, if you've done a deep dive on him, James. Yeah. Was the best hitter on the showcase circuit last summer. He was the best. He was better than Mac Clark. Walker Jenkins was hurt. Anybody you want to say. Aiden Miller. Best hitter on the showcase circuit. Hit for average, hit for power, performed in games, looked great. Well, <laughs> two things. He could go in the middle of the teens. He might go lower. But, like, to me, that guy should go closer to 10 because I'm all in on the bat. I'm on, in on the power. Fully believe. But he's 19. Um, he turned 19 a month ago. So some teams automatically not taking Aiden Miller in the first round. And he broke his handmade this spring. So he didn't play a whole lot. And so teams are like, well, I'm oversimplifying this. We didn't get to see him play. like to see it with my own eyes again in the spring. And it's like, okay, but it's not like his hand got chopped off. He broke his handmate. <laughs> Guys come back from that. It's not going to affect him long term. Like, so I think somebody's going to steal Aiden Miller. Like, that guy should go, like, I don't know, like 8, 10, 15, you know, no lower than, like, 15. But between his age and the fact that he missed a lot of time with the handmate, He's going to get dinged for it. And, like, you can go back and look. I guess it was, what, 2019 draft. You know, back-to-back -back picks. 
you know, Brett Beatty, everybody was killing Brett Beatty because I think Brett Beatty was like 19, maybe 19 and a half the draft. And then, and then the Blue Jays cut a deal with him um, at 12, like a blow slide deal. But I remember telling the teams, I remember telling one team was like, we wouldn't take Brett Beatty in the first round at all. Even though they, they acknowledge he's one of the, arguably as good as any high school hitter in the draft. We won't take him. And I was like, well, what if he doesn't sign? And he goes to Texas and plays for the Longhorns for two years. And he's a draft eligible sophomore and tears it up. And, they, and the guy laughed. He's like, oh, we take that guy in the first round. So it's the same player. And then Brett Beatty also was young for his league, every league he was in, even missing a year to the pandemic, and got to the big leagues at age 21. So, like, like that stuff drives me nuts. And the player taken after Brett Beatty was 17, Keone Kavako. Yep. Has anybody mentioned Keone Kavako nope. on any of your podcasts, like in the last two or three years? I'm going to nope. say no, because he's struggling. He hasn't done anything. So, anyway. <laughs> I, I didn't even realize that one was coming. You got me all wound up. But, uh, yeah, that is my PSA. Do not get too enthralled with age. Yes, if I had 17-year-old Brett Beatty and 19-year-old Brett Beatty and they were the same guy, I'd rather have 17-year-old Brett Beatty. But I'm not going to take 19-year-old Brett Beatty over 17-year-old Keone Kavaka. And, like, just for instance, well, and he's a good player, and he's going to go pretty good. But Arjun Amala is 17, so you're going to hear that hype on him. Um, Colt Emerson out of Ohio is 17. So they're two of the 17 year old shortstops and Walker Martin and, um, and Aiden Miller are, are 19 year old infielders and a hundred percent do not worry about age on pitchers. Like 17 percent, like pitching when you can pitch, you can pitch. Don't, don't even consider it for pitchers. So this is going to be a uh, kind of a out there question. Um, but, but speaking of, 17 year olds uh sebastian walcott's kind of been um the talk of kind of dynasty league twitter and stuff like that over the past week or two and i was just curious if you had an opinion about where sebastian walcott would slot into this class if you were a draft eligible well see i think he'd be a high school junior wouldn't he he would be. I mean, so he's, he's, he he's 17. I just, I like, just in my hypothetical here, he's playing in the complex league. If he were in this class, just from a tools projectability standpoint. Okay. This is going to sound like, take this with a grain of salt, that, that he's not at this level yet, but like, couldn't you look at him and look at the exit velocities, maybe the speeds a tick slower and the arm strength, but couldn't you look at him a little bit and be like, that could kind of be Ellie de la Cruz. Like, yeah. Ellie, like I think he, Ellie, I don't think Ellie de la Cruz was doing this stuff at age 17. Um, so it would be interesting. Like, man, if he, if, so if he was like a high school junior who reclassified into this draft, yeah, so you really probably. wouldn't have a lot of history on him. Like, because like, like well, we'll assume he's moved from the Bahamas and he's gone to an American high school, but we didn't see him on the showcase circuit. Ooh. I mean, he'd go in the top 10 somewhere. Like, I don't think he'd go over the three SEC guys just because you, 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 there's you have more certainty. I mean, it's funny because I think a lot of people don't even know who Sebastian Walcott is. I mean, Sebastian Walcott probably has a higher ceiling than Walker Jenkins and Max Clark, but you probably have better feel for those guys because you've seen them against more competition. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it'd be interesting. Like, like, what do you do? Like you take, 
Sebastian Walcott or do you take Rhett Lauder or Kyle Teal? Like, yeah, I, so I'll say top 10. I'll say top 10. I, okay. I think those two would be kind of like an Elijah Green situation where you're like, man, those tools are just ridiculous. Um, so, yeah, somewhere in the top 10. Is Maybe there... the Pirates deal with him and he'd go one. I don't know. <laughs> well, I think uh, – yeah, I think top uh... – Top six is probably where I think you would go for just fantasy purposes. Um, somewhere in with either sixth behind those top five or in that top five somewhere. Um, so one guy that I just had, I knew nothing about going into the draft last year. This is the last one and then I'll, I'll let you go. But um, uh, Xavier Isaac goes to the Rays. Uh, I didn't know anything about him, but then I just watched, you know, the, the highlights Um saw the scouting report and I was just very intrigued immediately in Xavier Isaac, just for fantasy. I, I understood why he was a lower ranked guy for, for real life, but do you see a, anyone in this year's class where it's just, they're maybe ranked in the seventies or the eighties or something on your guys list, but for fantasy, they might be, you know, 20, 30, 40 spots higher. Hmm. Yeah. And Isaac was a weird one. I'm just going to look at our grades to see if I have somebody who has like a super high grade. It might be interesting. Um, you know, Isaac was interesting because he had like a foot injury. So he wasn't yeah. on the showcase circuit. So people didn't see him. But like, I mean, you could you could put an 80 on his raw power if you wanted to. Uh, you know, the, the guys who jumped to mind for me for that would be the speed guys because of you know how hard it is to find steals in fantasy. So I would throw out the first guy who jumped to mind would be Kendall George. He's a high school author from Texas. He's as fast as any player in the draft. You know, it, it's hit, you know, we have 30 power on him. So not gonna be a big power guy, but like if that guy, you know, he's, he's a good hitter, you know, so that guy, that guy's a guy who could put on a ton, you could get you a ton of steals. Another guy with huge raw power, speaking of guys who reclassified George Wolkow, uh, who's from an Illinois kid who reclassified this year's draft. And like, you could certainly just like you could dream on, on, uh, on Xavier last year, I mean, Wolkow, he's 17 years old. He's 6'7", 240 pounds. Um, like, it's ridiculous. And, like, he put on a show in batting practice at the Combine, too. And he's, you know, he moves well for his size. I mean, he's just massive. Um, so, like, I mean, I probably had more trust in George Wolkow than I did in Xavier Isaac coming into last year. So he'd be, he'd be one. I'm just trying to look and see. Yeah, I don't see anybody else. Like th those would be, if I'm looking for the guy who has the biggest power and the biggest uh, sp best speed, like for fantasy impact outside like the top 50, those would be those would be the two guys. Jim, is there any any hitters or, or pitchers we haven't touched on at all that you it's a, a personal favorite of yours that you want to mention quick or are we? Pretty yeah, much and I don't even know if this guy's going to wind up signing. But um, <laughs> like, well, because like, cause, I mean, I, he's not going to sign just to sign. He's a strong commit to Ole Miss. But I, it, I was really on Cooper Pratt coming into the year, and I think guys were hoping he would get better. And I don't know that so much. Like, I think he's he hasn't made a jump. He was pretty good coming in. He 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 played very well in the showcase circuit, very well at Jupiter in October. But I kept getting right-handed hitting Gunnar Henderson comps on Cooper Pratt, who's a shortstop. It's like like Gunner, 6'4", played at a private school in the Deep South. Gunner was Alabama. Cooper Pratt was Mississippi. Um, and 
I just really like Cooper Pratt. I think he's going to hit for average and power and be a really good player. But because there's so many shortstops and he's a strong commit to Ole Miss, I don't know if he's going to get drafted high enough to pay him to not go to college. But he's he's probably my favorite guy who doesn't get mentioned as a potential first rounder. Um, and we'll see. Like, But I, I, I think he's going to be really good. I'm, I'm all in on Cooper Pratt. Jim, this has been uh, fantastic. Um, do you want to do you want to let people know sort of where they can tune in to to catch you on on Sunday, Monday, etc., where they can find uh, everything you're working on? Sure. Don't ask, like, and this sounds terrible. Don't ask me what time they are off the top of my head because I do not have the times memorized. <laughs> yeah, and also, we're dealing with Pacific time where I'll be, East Coast time, which is what network uses, and I live in Central time, so I'm I just know I'm going to be pointed at the camera and talk. But anyway. Sunday, which I I don't even want to say, guess what I think the times are. I think I know, but I, I don't want to get them wrong. <laughs> Sunday evening, I will be on MLB Network as part of our coverage of the first two rounds of the draft. And then Monday, I think early afternoon, uh, I'll be on, I think it's just streaming only on .com. Jonathan Mayo, Melanie Newman, and I will cover rounds three through 10, which are, I'd call to pick a minute, but it's, Teams pick as quick as they want. So it might be, you might start talking about a guy and then a producer's in your ear going, five seconds, Brewers are about to pick. <laughs> so that's chaos. And then day three, um, we're on standby. It's, it's just, a, you just get the raw conference call, the audio of that, of teams picking guys. Very exciting. You know, Royals pick, redraft, R1765, 42, so and so, whatever. But we are on standby in case there's a problem with the conference call. We have to hop on and fill. So we're, we kind of have our feet up on the desk, but we spring into action. If in the 15th round somebody takes an ineligible player or the Cardinals phone connection goes out or whatever, well, we're there. So, so day three on Tuesday, I'll be writing a bunch more, but I, I will probably not be on camera as much. Well, very excited to, to follow along with all of that. Uh, I, I'll probably be writing instead of watching day three as well, but um... – Really appreciate you taking the time again, Jim. Thanks as always. Oh, no, I enjoy it, James. You always ask good questions. And um, like I said, like I, it would be weird. Like if, if if you hadn't asked me, I probably would have gotten to today and been like, wait a minute, why am I not recording the <laughs> Rotowire podcast with, with James? What's going on here? So, no, I enjoy it every year. I look forward to it. And you always ask good questions and, and make me think about guys. So uh, I, I always appreciate it. So thanks for having me on. Thanks a lot, man. You're the best. Well, thanks.